Well, one of my most dreaded things as a kid, which I would love to have now, but as a kid, mama would let us know that it's time to plant the garden. It was the worst. Do ya? Well, you can do it for me next time. Well, I tell you, as a kid, it was just the worst. So we would go out in that Manitoba hot weather, and uh, she had the biggest garden in the whole world. And she would have this thing built. Uh, it, it was um, made out of wood. It was about, I don't know, about six to eight feet long. And then it had uh, little arrows or uh, little spikes on the three of them on this thing. And I would pull it. So hopefully when you start over there, you would pull it straight back so that you had three equal rows. Then you'd go back and put one of the spikes in the row you'd just done. So you'd keep doing that and you'd make all of these rows. And then we would go to those rows in the middle of them and you dig a little thingy and you put in your peas and you put in your corn and you put in your whatever it is you did, right? Potatoes. And then you watered it or Manitoba took care of itself. And then after a while, you got your harvest and boom, you know, mom had to convince me again to shell peas. And money worked, but other than that, not a whole lot worked get me out there. And I just remember doing whatever I could and then letting nature take its course with sun with the rain, and obviously with weeding. Coming to the subject of weeding, uh, I was part of 4-H. Does anybody know what 4-H is? What does it stand for, 4-H? What? Heart, head, hands, and health. I was in 4-H. I had no idea. (laughs) I would go to parades. You know how hard it is to go to a parade when you're part of 4-H doing sugar beets? You have a sugar beet? Like, you're supposed to dance and uh, parade to a sugar beet? It was pretty hard. But nonetheless, I made some dough. I made like seven, eight hundred bucks as a kid per summer. And I'd have this whatever quarter acre that my neighbor gave me. And then he would do the work. Besides, when it started to come up, I had an opportunity to either go and hoe the uh, weeds or wait till they were taller than me and then try and pull them out. That was way harder And sometimes when you pull it out, you'd actually take the beat with it. So now you've lost some money. It was the worst. But when it comes to taking care of our planting or when it comes to planting a garden, when it comes to taking care of your soil, obviously there's a lot of lessons we can learn from planting a garden to how off soil of our heart is so that Christ can actually plant seeds in our heart, the receptivity of it, and also the growth when the sun comes, when the rain comes, when the storms come, when the wind comes how are our plants going to hold up to the weather that's coming our way? So just like my mama got me out there to learn a lot of these tricks in the garden, I think today's portion of scripture has a lot to say about how we can tend to the soil of our heart so that we're ready to continue to grow in our relationship in Jesus Christ. And one of the biggest ways to do that is for us to have deep roots. So let's pray before we jump in. Thank you, Lord, for this incredible portion of scripture. And... Um, I just ask, Lord, that as we've talked about even the neat memories of tending to our soil and gardens, I pray that you'd also help us to really understand the seriousness of tending to the soil of our hearts. Today's subject can be hard because some of us have looked at this as just a one-time deal, the crisis of salvation, the crisis of saying yes to Jesus and no to yourself once. But I think we're going to see in today's portion that it's a big deal that we actually have a trajectory of our life saying yes to you, pushing away the things that we used to do and moving toward Jesus, pulling the weeds 
and watering the garden and letting the sun shine upon our plants, the plants of our heart. So I just ask, Lord, that you would uh, give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. In your name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 8. I hope I did this right because I was, I, was, I was preaching on Luke chapter 8 and I looked it up in my commentary section and it made no sense. I was going, I don't get this at all because I had typed in John chapter 8. <laughs> so I might, you might have mixed messages today. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. So soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. One day, Jesus took a, uh, told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant a seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as it had been planted. When he had said this, he, he called out, anyone who has ears to hear should listen. Listen and understand. His disciples asked him what this parable meant, and he replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, but I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled, that when they look, they won't really see. When they hear, they won't understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message, only to have the devil, or the big bad bird, come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and they receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never ever grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. I want us to go a little bit to a commentating version. We're going to start at the second part of verse 8. And this is what the message says. Are you listening to this? Are you really listening? Verse 9, his disciples asked, Why did you tell this parable or the story? And he said, You've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. There are others who need stories, but even with stories, some of them aren't going to get it. Their eyes are open, but they don't see a thing. Their ears are open, but they don't hear a thing. This story is about some of those people. The seed is the word of God. The seeds on the road are those who hear the word, but no sooner do they hear it than the devil snatches it from them so they won't believe and be saved. The seeds in the, 
in the gravel are those who hear with enthusiasm, but the enthusiasm doesn't go very deep. It's only another fad. And the moment there's trouble, it's gone. And the seed that fell in the weeds, well, those are the ones who hear, but then the seed is crowded out and nothing comes of it as they go about their lives worrying about tomorrow, making money and having fun. But the seed in the good earth, these are the good hearts who seize the word and hold on no matter what, sticking with it until there's a harvest. Until there's a harvest. It's kind of interesting because you find this parable in the other Gospels too. But Luke, who we've talked about a number of times, he often gets to the point. He uses words like immediately. And uh, in this one, he doesn't give a whole lot of other descriptors beyond this. When he says, when he plants the seeds, it's like the word. He goes on to say, it's the word of God. So he's not just saying that it's Jesus planning it or it's the apostles just planting it. He seems to be giving this idea that we as Christians, when we're planting seeds, some will fall on all of these different kinds of soil. So somebody has said, rather than say it's the parable of the farmer or parable of the seed, this, in this context of Luke, should actually be called the parable of the soils, since that seems to be the subject. The first verses give us a narrative of Jesus preaching and doing the gospel, and people respond. And let's be honest, everybody responds to the gospel. Everybody does. Either they respond by receiving it and growing, or they receive it for a while, or they just throw it away, or they just let everything else crowd out the good news of the gospel. But everybody responds when they've heard the gospel. So this really is a timely portion of scripture because I was even saying to my staff on, on uh, Wednesday and Friday that just lately in the last couple of weeks there's been some high profile Christian leaders that have kind of stepped down from their positions and also made moves to kind of almost give us a hint that they've stepped away from some of their fundamentals in their faith. So it's interesting when you have somebody out there that's one of these big, brass, shiny Christians, and they've stepped down to see kind of the fallout of Christianity. And then even myself at my age, I sometimes go like, yikes, guys my age that are falling off and no longer following Christ, and I'm starting to look at this parable going, what does this have to offer us today? When things get rough, when the government seems to be jamming certain things down our throat, what we need to believe, when absolute truth is constantly questioned and there is no absolute truth because it's all about your feelings apparently, how shall we then respond? How are our kids going to respond? How are you going to respond? My friends, we are bombarded with news every day and we're swallowing it, swallowing it, swallowing to the point where finally we start to believe things that culture tells us to believe because you've heard it a bazillion times. And how often have you actually swallowed some truth compared to how often we actually swallow the garbage that's being thrown our way? So it's really important to see what's going on in this parable. So to remind us of the background, I love this because when we talked about the first chapters of Luke, we saw that it's the Sermon on the Plain, and that they had come down from the mount, came to a plain, and there they came to see Jesus, they came to listen to Jesus, they came to be healed by Jesus, and they also came to be delivered. 
So this is really cool stuff because when you follow that, you see that Jesus is not only preaching it with his mouth, he's actually doing it. And now we are so lucky because the beginning of this portion of scripture, we actually see that there's a bunch of women that are following Jesus. And you're going, what's the big deal? It is a big deal. In this time of the Palestinian background, for ladies just to simply to leave and follow this guy, that ain't right. It's, there's something fishy about this. Because it just didn't happen that women became disciples and left everything to follow. It just didn't make any sense. And not only that, some of these ladies were in prominent, great positions, and they left everything to follow, and they served Christ, which is interesting because they used the word in original, kind of that we use for deacon. So these women here were deaconing, not deaconessing. It doesn't give the word deaconess. Deacon. So they were serving as leaders in this movement right now. So that might mess with some of your doctrine and theology. Because here we have women that are leading the way. Again. So it's interesting. These women were apparently well-to-do. Some of them were at least. And they were deaconing. They have heard the word. They were healed by it. And now they left the unthinkable, as Wright says, in this well-defined society or social space of home and family. They left everything to follow Jesus, and not only that, they were actually supporting the ministry out of their own pockets. Really cool stuff. Mary Magdalene had been set free from demons. Not only demons, but apparently seven of them. Zoiks. Joanna, wife of uh, Chusa, Herod Stewart, who gladly stepped down from a prominent place in society to follow Jesus. And, in, and scripture doesn't seem to say a whole lot about the next woman. But nonetheless, it's interesting because even as I look at that portion of scripture, I see one of the keys to the kingdom seems to be humility. Because think about this for a second. The first woman was Mary Magdalene. What did she have before she met Christ? Demons, right? If she had demons, let me tell you, she had power. She did. She has experienced power in her life. Not cool power, but she experienced power. To let go of that power and now to humble herself and receive the gospel, receive the seed that's been planted and let it grow, unbelievable. Joanna, why in the world would she leave her cushy home where everything is taken care of? She's got prominence, she's got reputation, she's got money and everything. And something about the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ has gripped her and she's left it all and she's walked with Jesus. Lots of people would be like, what are women doing following? And I know her, she had a bunch of demons. What is she doing? She's part of the office, Herod's office. The what? And it's interesting because the gospel had come, had been seeded, and not only through word, but now we see it in action. And this is really important because he gives this of these three women that were changed. And they're not only changed by word of mouth, they've changed by what they do. And they are showing that they are part of the fourth seed or the fourth soil. That the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ has been dropped on good soil and they are growing. And this will be challenging for some, some people that have theological or doctrinal statements on some of this stuff because we see four different instances. Three of the seeds or three of the soils, they end up in the same place. They do not grow to know Jesus. The fourth soil grows to know Jesus with deep roots. And we'd love to take some of this going, well, can't this be a, a decaf Christian? Or can't this be like somebody that just kind of knows Jesus? And it seems as though if you look at this parable, you realize 
that you don't want to be any of these seeds or any of these soils besides number four. The gospel spans over social, moral, and economic backgrounds. Here again, and you see it all throughout Luke, Luke is pointing out the poor people. He's pointing out people that have been involved in prostitution, all this stuff. And here, once again, in this first portion, we see Mary Magdalene, the lowest of the low, apparently. And we see Joanna, way up here. And they're both humbled and give themselves to Christ. I love this. There's no hierarchy in the the kingdom here. There's no chaste kind of thing or chaste system where, where people are better than the other. We're actually all in the image of Christ and he died for each and every one of us. Just a few weeks ago, we saw that a Pharisee invited Jesus into his home. Remember that? And the Pharisee was like a, a priest or a pastor and he invited Jesus because he wanted to hear what he had to say. And then it was the worst because he left the door open and wouldn't you know who comes in is somebody of reputation and she weeps on his feet and then anoints him with a beautiful perfume and just absolutely worships him. But we see even in that illustration that the gospel, the seed has fallen on good soil with the person who used to be a prostitute. But when it comes to the soil of the Pharisee's heart, he looks back and if he really was a prophet, he would know who's touching her, him and would never let it happen. He's got a rocky soil for his heart. And we see throughout this as Luke is giving us these different illustrations. We remember a number of weeks ago, there's this Gentile centurion who has this incredible uh, servant and wants him to be healed. And he actually turns towards some of his servants. I've heard about Jesus. Go get Jesus because he can actually heal and take care of my servant. So we see that the Gentile understood authority because he's got soldiers under him. And he also understands Jesus' authority that I know that you can heal what's going on with my servant. So out of Israel, outside of Israel, we see the Gentile turn toward Jesus and we see the seed fall on a good heart when it comes to the Gentile. Or when it comes to the 12, we're not going to take time to look at all the 12, but if you look at the very colorful paths of, of all the 12, we see that they all come from very interesting backgrounds, but yet they had this in common. Good soil in the heart. So when they received Christ, let me ask you this question. That when they received Christ, did all the 12 make fantastic decisions from there on in? No, right? So what, here's what's also important, is there seems to be Something within this whole timeline of using this parable of farming, he's used it within this parable of perseverance or patience. Patience is a big deal. Patience to grow, and it also gives us this timeline that you will grow in your relationship with Christ from here on in. So sometimes we expect new Christians to get it together right away, and that's not right. But there's also this whole realization that we don't just receive Christ. I said a prayer one time, 1973, but nobody else can tell because you live like hell. Right? So that doesn't make any sense either because really what this is pointing toward, this farming illustration of patience and perseverance, that over the long haul, you will continue to show a harvest in what you actually believe. So patience 
And perseverance is huge in here. Just like that dreaded garden, when I had to do that with my mama, we had to toil, we had to toil in that garden. We tilled it with a John Deere tractor nonetheless. And then when the soil was ready, that's when we took care of all the other stuff and we saw a harvest. If we didn't do that, we wouldn't have seen a harvest. We wouldn't have seen a harvest. It's interesting here because he doesn't think we're dummies, but he knows that we're human, and he uses the word here in this section. He who has ears, let him hear. He uses this in this section over nine times. He uses this nine times that we need to hear, and hearing isn't just like, what was that? But it's actually hearing to understand the receptivity of our hearts, which to- points toward good soil. Bach says seed is designed to bear fruit. Only in one of these examples this happens. So to believe for a time is not to believe in a commendable way, since the end result is not faith. One cannot end up unbelieving and have a faith that saves, for then salvation comes from unbelief. Another way to say this is that genuine faith is permanent. Boy, that's challenging, isn't it? I'm going to say part of that again. One cannot end up unbelieving and have a faith that saves, for then salvation comes through unbelief. Another way to say it, Bach says, is that genuine faith is permanent. Does that mean you'll never have doubts? No. Does that mean that you'll never have struggles? No. In fact, um, Josiah was pointing it hardcore last week. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus. Well, that's probably not the easiest sermon to choose as your first time preaching in a church, right? It is tough. And the message of it was very clear. To deny yourself. How about a a seed? You put a seed in the ground. What does a seed have to do? It's got to die and open up and sprout, right? So it's also interesting that the seed is put under what? Under soil, which means it's put under pressure. We hate pressure, don't we? We, Sometimes we become Christians because we want an easy life. (laughs) You signed up for the wrong one, right? It's not easy. In fact, as a Christian now, you probably feel pressure with some of the ideas that are coming from culture. And you're going, how do I live this out? How do I live this out? So it's interesting that so many times, right from Romans 12, 1 and 2, when it comes to the, when it comes to the caterpillar becoming a butterfly, or when it comes to the seed that's sprouting into this growth, we know that many times growth comes through pressure. So maybe sometimes we shouldn't always push the pressure away, but sometimes receive it and wonder, what is God doing in our hearts? Stein says the problem with the first three illustrations or soils is that they have no root. They believe for a while. Criticism is not directed to the quality or kind of faith that these hearers possess, but rather the problem is that they only hold this faith for a little while. But as the rest of the text And the full uh, canon, which is the full Bible message, suggests this faith is not a saving faith. So when we just go, woo, Jesus, for two weeks, or woo, Jesus, for a year or two, that's not saving faith. So some of you are going, okay, is this guy Arminian, or is he a Calvinist? And I'm saying, you're not going to nail me down today. Because I'm looking here, and we are saved by the act of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. But Josiah also pointed out last week, we don't work for our salvation, but we work out our salvation. There's a big difference there. 
when I actually have come and received what Christ has done for me on the cross, now people should see me responding. Sometimes it might not look pretty, but on the whole, the trajectory of my growth is that I'm moving toward becoming more like Christ. Becoming more like Christ. So let's go and check out these paths or let's go check out these different kinds of soils and see what's in there for us. First of all, before we begin, I want us to remember that kind of the illustration is you'd have a farmer with a sack of seed and he would go and he would just spread seed like this. He would just put his hand into his bag and he'd throw out the seed. So some of that seed would fall upon the path that everybody's been walking. Some of it would fall among the, the rocks, some among the weeds, and hopefully some among good soil. And then once he's throwing it all out, then oftentimes they would come with some kind of mechanism like a plow, and then they turn over the dirt so that the dirt fell upon the seed. So that's kind of the picture that we have here. So the first thing that he introduces us to is the path or the downtrodden soil. So they don't pay attention, or the folks that have this kind of soil in their hearts, they don't pay attention, and the devil snatches the seed. So to give you this picture is if everybody's walking down this aisle all the time, and now this aisle is rock hard because it's been a path, but as I, as the farmer, I'm throwing seeds, some of my seed will fall on this soil. Well, because it doesn't penetrate whatsoever, a bird or the devil, whatever, can come and snatch my seed, and I may have seen it, kind of paid attention, but it's gone opportunity is gone. The seed was there, but it's been snatched up and gone. And you remember, he's talking about your heart, the soil of your heart. So is there a chance that we have so hardened our hearts that when the Lord or somebody throws some seed, it bounces off of our hardened hearts and we can't even get a good glimpse of the changes it could make in our lives? I think sometimes we forget the the nature of spiritual warfare or even our own temptations for that matter. So I don't want us to think uh, the devil made me do it but what I am trying to awaken us to is it is a spiritual warfare. I mean we're talking about eternity in the balance. We're talking that you were created in the image of God therefore you are eternal and sometimes when people actually are contemplating and weighing becoming a Christian we are talking that it's just not me and another person in my office. It's actually there's wages or wars being waged in the heavenlies because the devil wants that soul. And Jesus says, I love that guy. I want him in heaven with me. So there's this huge battle going on that often we don't see. And I'm not sure if we really want to see what that looks like sometimes. I'm sure it would be pretty scary. Wearsby says, the wayside was the path that ran through the common field separating the plots and the foot traffic hardened that soil. So whatever goes into your ear or your eye finally enters the heart. So we would, be, uh, we would be kind of admonished to be careful who's allowed to walk on our hearts or the company that we keep as we harden our hearts. Bach says and reminds us that regarding the seed that the devil snatches on the path, when God seeks to speak to humanity, a cosmic battle breaks out. I love that. When God seeks to speak to humanity, a cosmic battle breaks out. Think about that. Some of you actually just became a Christian lately. And to think about all the things that have been going on, all the things that are, have been distracting, when you can finally say, yes, I want Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. 
And I think that's even true in our Christian walk. I have been with people when they want to get baptized and take that second step of obedience. And, and it seems as though leading up or just soon afterwards, life gets hard on them, to be honest. Because they've actually made a decision to walk in obedience. And then all of a sudden they have all sorts of challenges thrown their way. And they wonder, maybe I shouldn't get baptized. Or maybe this is the wrong thing to do. But it's interesting. Because if we go, what's just been said here, when God seeks to speak to humanity, a cosmic battle breaks out. So that's the path or the dawn or downtrodden soil. It's so hard that the seeds might just break out and the devil grabs it immediately like a bird grabbing a seed. But we have a second soil. It's a, a rocky soil. And some see but never become aware of their condition and their need. So it's a shallow soil that we see in verse 6 and 13. And it seems as though they receive it with joy, which is kind of cool because you'd think if you're good soil, you'll also receive right on. I've become a, a son and daughter of the Most High King. Woo! But these folks seem to, woo! And then all of a sudden, life comes and the enthusiasm wears off really quick. So it's like a flash in the pan or it's emotionalism. Like, oh Jesus, I need you. Better. And now that things are going good, it's all over. Don't need Jesus anymore. Until the next accident, or until the next disease, or until the next illness. And oh, Jesus! And then it's gone. So that seems to be what he's saying here, is that it's shallow, and it never has opportunity to go deep. You don't have enough topsoil, and therefore cannot retain enough moisture. And then when the sun comes out, Instantly it gets burnt and we have dry spells and no longer can it grow. That's kind of interesting. Because even when I looked at my, my uh, grass this last year, it was brutal. You can't even call it grass. I think there was a little bit of grass among all the other things there. So then I phoned up a buddy of mine and said, how much topsoil do I need for me to be successful because I wanted to lay some sod? And he was saying, well, you need you know, at least a good four to six inches. But being a Mennonite, I didn't have that amount. So I only could have about maybe one and a half to three. You know, I scattered it out. And it looked really good most of the time. And now that summer's coming to a close, it's just like, ah, I think I need a bit more soil in a few areas. You don't want to cheap out on soil. Take that from a Mennonite, okay? So it's really important what's going on there because if the seeds aren't well taken care of or watered, then they don't have good roots. Therefore, they'll be shallow, and therefore it's easy to lose whatever we may have received in that time of need. Rocky soil, or path. Third one he gives is, he's thrown it among the thorns. He's thrown it among the thorns, or he's thrown it among the weeds. And like I said before, that if you try and actually pull out a weed that's right beside a good plant, there's a good chance you're also going to take it with you. I like what Josiah said last week. It takes two hands to pick up your cross. And very often we don't want to give two hands to Christ. It takes two hands to pick up your cross, but so often we want to balance the cross in one hand while we balance other things in our other hand. This is so true. It's true in my life, and I've had these conversations very obviously with some folks that are just simply saying, I don't really want to give my full life to Christ because I'm scared what that might entail. And here, he's calling us to do that in the fourth soil. But going back to the third one, there's thorns or there's things that crowd out 
so that our soil cannot be a good place for faith to grow. They hear the word, but as life goes on, worry, messed up relationships, possessions, money, 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 pleasure. In fact, the wording that he's using here is actually hedonism. So everything I do is for my own pleasure. Everything I do is for my own pleasure. So if we want to balance the cross here, but on weekends we're, it's all about my hedonism and my pleasure, then we're not getting it. And I do like what Piper says. He says we need to somehow cultivate a Christian hedonism. So uh, enjoy life, milk life to the glory of God. So all the times of entertainment or making money or giving or whatever it is that you enjoy, we do that through the lens of Christ being the Lord of our lives. And that makes a big difference. Christian hedonism. But like the second soil, there is the start in faith here when it comes to the thorns or crowded soil, but no perseverance. Such hearers do not continue overcoming to the end, which we know from a, a, a letter to the church in Revelation chapter 2. So again, it's pointing toward this temporary faith where I need Jesus for the week. Or I need Jesus until things get better. And it's really pointing toward a perseverance and a patience. It's the long haul. It's not the crisis. And this has been encouraging for me. I'm not sure, sure for you. But as I watch folks about my age kind of falling off, or guys from Bible college or seminary no longer being in ministry or whatever happens, right? And I go, yikes. Because things are not getting easier. The thought life out there and some of the examples that we have are getting harder and harder. So for us to actually persevere and to continue to cultivate the soil of our hearts is really, really important because we need to continue to grow. I mentioned him a couple weeks ago and last week is that that's was Ken. Ken was, uh, Pastor Ken was really, really enamored with that he wanted to finish well. And that's really what we're talking about here. But it's not only for pastors. It's for each and every one of us. We want to finish well, and one of the ways to do that is to make sure that the soil of your heart is ready to receive, ready to continue to grow as it's being watered. The crowded soil. There's not enough soil so the roots can go down. The plant is crowded out and the fruit is choked. Cares and everything else just simply chokes out the seed that's been planted. But lastly, we have the good soil. So that's another response to Jesus and seems to realize their need for a savior. So when it comes to good soil, what we have here is we have the seed that's planted in good soil. Therefore, it breaks open, it starts to grow. And not only does it do that, but after a while, it's going to bear fruit in its season, right? So we're talking it's going to bear fruit in a season. So when it comes to our Christian lives, there's a couple of things that we're going to have for fruit. First of all, you're going to grow in fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So in character, you, when you become a Christian, you shouldn't become angrier. When you become a Christian, you shouldn't become more impatient. It doesn't say you go through ups and downs. But on the whole, these are things that you will grow because it's fruit of the Spirit. Okay? So don't start going around judging people. Wow, he's more angry this week. He's, he's lost his salvation. Please don't do that. Just look at yourselves, okay? But then there's also this fruit of the Spirit or fruit of bearing fruit is that we should be able to see that you're a Christian. There should be works involved. 
There should be actually an open hand toward Christ saying, what would you have me to be? Or what Henry Blackaby sees, Lord, I know you're at work. I want to be a part of it. I mean, Scripture is very clear that if you have a relationship with Christ, you have been given at least one spiritual gift. Do you know yours? If you keep coming up to me on a Sunday morning and you're 100 years old and you're still, what? Come on. What is the gift? And get off your duff and figure it out. Or make, make an appointment with somebody and ask that, like, what are you passionate about? And what do you see in me? What am I drawn toward? What am I burdened for? What breaks my heart? Those are some of the ways for you to figure out your spiritual gift. And then start employing it. Because it just doesn't make any sense. You've been given a spiritual gift and just leave it there. You're the church. I'm the church. We've got to bear fruit in our character and we've got to bear fruit in how we also act. Bear fruit in action. But again, there's patience and perseverance. Let me read a, a portion of scripture with you. It's a bit of a longer one, but I think it also helps get the point across. In John chapter 3, you know the good old verse, for God's to love the world. But let's go in the context of it in John chapter 3, starting at verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, because, you know, heaven forbid that I would go during the day and people would see me. He goes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? Explained Nicodemus, who's a teacher of the law. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Okay, this is, uh, this is some of the highest thinking. Okay, just so you know. So this old man, how may I creep back up into my mother's womb to be born again? I feel smart when I read that. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus says, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about these earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so that the Son of Man must also be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Now, why do I go to this? Because it's kind of interesting. It gives us another picture. Is what did he say to Nicodemus? You need to be born of water and also be born of what? Right. So does that mean I got to crawl back up into my mama? Absolutely not. Right? But he's saying here, to be born again, you must be born of the Spirit. When you were born physically, can you be unborn? Ooh, this place is nasty. Get me back, you know. You know, we had one kid that you know, it was rough in labor. Every time my poor wife tried to push out the kid and she'd take a rest, he'd 
back in, you know. Stop it, you know. Push, push, you know. TMI, I guess, but nonetheless, that guy. Then he came out all limp. I didn't know if he was alive because he was just, but he used all his energy in the womb. He wanted to stay in there, little bugger. Nonetheless, as ridiculous as that is, when we get born, we can't get unborn. When you get born in the spirit, can you get unborn in the spirit? Right. You can't get unborn. So if you have a genuine belief in Jesus Christ and good soil, you can't get unborn in the spirit. And this is cool. So I'm trying to send this to you because I'm not, I'm not offering you excuses. Some, you know, some folks like to kind of say, what does it mean to be saved? And what's the least amount I have to do to be saved? We're asking the wrong question here. When you are born in the spirit... You do what the Spirit does. When you're born from your mama, you actually are a human, and now you start doing what humans do. You don't go unhuman or unborn. Same thing with Christ. When you are born in the Spirit, now, because of the good soil in your heart, you continue to grow and mature, and you have deep roots because you are a Christ one. Isn't that cool? So I think it gives us a really cool indicator here and really cool um, illustrations and parables to show us that even though we sometimes like to say, oh, I'm, just, I'm not a hardcore Christian or whatever. No, no, no. It's, he's not giving excuse to be a decaf Christian or a Christian blown around by circumstances. The first three soils are not good news. They end up in the same spot. It's the fourth soil that has a cultivated heart that receives the word, is watered, gets the sunshine and constantly grows toward knowing Jesus more. And that's what we need. So instead of looking at what you can get away with, maybe look toward here. And I don't care what culture's saying right now about your sexuality, about everything else that's going on in this world. Shut it and look toward Christ and say, Christ, I have open hands because we also know from the beginning of our scripture that we must have humility. Humble yourself, honestly, and ask the Lord to speak to you instead of uh, letting your mind be all crazy and then say, Lord, I want you to bless my thoughts. It's the other way around. Zip your thoughts and you actually turn toward, Lord, I actually want my thoughts to be guided by you. And I think that's sometimes what's going on here. I've, been, I've done that stuff where I want the Lord to bless my plans. And that's not, that's not what we're talking about here person with a good soiled heart is like, Lord, I want to grow. You're open-handed. You're not getting him to bless something that you are doing that's wrong. Or you want to somehow twist it so that you can tell other people, oh, being a Christian is really easy because I still do this, this, this on weekends. But no, you're not getting it. The fourth soil is the soil that we need to continue to cultivate and water the seed is always the same in the story, but the response of the hearer is different. The seed is always the same, but the response is different. Seeds that fall on good soil, a good persevering heart. Patience is always there. We're also talking about people living under pressure. Remember that. So here's a bit of a meddling statement, and I don't like this one. I, I say it to you, but right back at me. Could it be that we do not live under enough pressure? And that's why we have so many cockeyed thoughts these days. I read the book Heavenly Man. 
And Brother Yun, it scares me like crazy. He spent lots of his life in jail and in, in, in not cushy Canadian jails, like disgusting stuff. And I don't want to go there. I don't want any of you to go there. But let me tell you, he knew his God. He knew Jesus Christ. He saw miracles happen. He saw healings happen. God blew his mind in some stuff. And yet we're sitting here struggling with doubt. Meanwhile, we got it so good. I don't care how much money you have in this room. You still got it way better than most of the world. So could it be that we don't live under enough pressure for our seeds to break open and bear fruit? So I'm not going to pray today that we get under more pressure because I'm in this room too. But could it be that with a message like today, we become a little bit more sensitive to Lord I know we're in Canada. We got it pretty good. Help me to respond to you in the tap on my shoulder instead of the two by four across my head. You know what I'm saying? Help us to pay attention. There's huge parts of the world, you guys, where being a Christian is rough. They will lose their lives. When somebody comes out of Islam or some of these other religions, you are talking your life is in danger. My life's not in danger. So could it be that sometimes we have the soil of our hearts is like the first three because we're not under pressure? This parable is about a response to the word at any... Sorry, the box says, this parable is not about a response to the word at any given moment. But I like what he says. It sums up the different ways the word is received over a lifetime of exposure. So it goes back to patience and perseverance. We cling to our faith and we continue to grow as we tend the soil of our hearts. Folks, don't let the temptations and pressures, uh, culture erode your faith over time. That's a temptation even for me sometimes. As I get older, now my world's bigger. I'm not in my little environment of Mennonites anymore. And all of a sudden I look around and I see all sorts going on. And for me, that can erode my faith. But then I go, wait a second, wait a second. I look at Genesis, all of Genesis, and I see the redemptive power of God in Adam and Eve and his, and his kids. And I see all through that, throughout Scripture. And we see Christ at work. And it's that I'm going to cling to, not whatever's the new fad of the day. So the question comes, how are you going to tend the soil of your heart today? Many of us are going to be tempted to try and fit this passage into our theology and doctrine. But one thing is clear. Three of these seeds do not bear fruit. And one does. That one lands on a heart that has receptive soil. It hears. That soil is tended over the long haul and practices the art of hearing and responding. It is patient, persevering, and enduring. How is the soil of your heart? Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. And wherever we're at, I do pray that you've given us a picture this morning of what we need to do with our soil. What do we need to do with our soil, Lord? Reveal to us this morning if there's something that we can be doing differently when it comes to our, uh, our, our um, fruit of the Spirit or when it comes to even the actions of the Spirit.
But Lord, we want to be moved by what the Spirit has done in our lives. If we actually have come to a faith in Jesus Christ, we have been born again, as you explained to Nicodemus. We cannot be unborn. So Lord, this morning I pray that either A, if somebody here has been fooling around and has one of the first three soils of, uh, in their heart, I pray that today they would jump into the fourth category and they'd honestly receive Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And secondly, Lord, if somebody has that fourth soil, I pray that you would reveal to us this morning, even during this last song, reveal to us this morning what we can do to continue to tend and cultivate the soil of our heart. That we're ready to hear from you, that we're ready to grow in fruit of the Spirit, that we're ready to know our spiritual gift and get busy in using the gifts that you've given us to continue to shout out this treasure that we have and spread the gospel of Christ. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen.